0: Alright, we are continuing together our study in the subject of the covenants. And we are, in chapter 13, dealing with the subject of the new covenant. And as we've looked at the Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant and the old covenant, we have seen how these covenants are all moving towards and culminating in the new covenant. And so, uh, what we did last time is we saw that the Old Covenant provides the background for the New Covenant and provides most of the information we have regarding it. Understanding the Old Testament statements about the New Covenant is critical then to being able to understand the New Covenant. And so what we said is that God made a covenant with Abraham. And you remember that as we studied that covenant, it contained three promises. It contained the promise of the seed, the blessing, and the land. You remember that when we went through that. okay? Now, the promise that God made to Abraham of the seed, the blessing, and the land was fulfilled uh, in uh, Isaac. Uh, Isaac was, of course, Abraham's promised seed. And Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had the 12 tribes. And a whole nation came out of Abraham. And so that was the temporal and immediate fulfillment of the promise of the seed and then of course there was the promise of the land and God gave a description of the size of that land and we see that under Solomon uh, that Israel had all of that land and that the promise of the land which was Palestine was given to Abraham and fulfilled and then of course there was the promise of the blessing And God gave tremendous blessing to the nation of Israel, material prosperity. Uh, He gave them uh, the blessing of having all the prophetic revelation uh, that the other nations didn't have. And, of course, they had uh, given to them the scriptures. And so they had tremendous blessings from God. Uh, However, uh, all of these blessings that were ultimately fulfilled, all these promises to Abraham, that were ultimately fulfilled under the Old Covenant, um, wound up <clears throat> being um, uh, lost by the children of Israel because of their uh, failure under the Old Covenant. Now, under the Old Covenant, of course, they grew into um, a mighty nation. They they got the land and they... Um, were tremendously blessed by god but you recall that the old covenant was an if then covenant which means that if israel continued to keep god's laws god would then continue to bless them they would retain the land uh, they would uh, maintain themselves as a nation and they would continue to have the blessing of god now of course from the very first generation forward israel didn't keep the old covenant And as a result, Israel wound up going into captivity and they were captured by the king of Babylon and they were taken to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar took them there. Now, when that happened, the prophets rose up. Now, the prophets are uh, in your Bibles from Isaiah clear to Malachi. Okay, the major prophets and the minor prophets, those are the prophets. And all of those prophets, without exception, occurred right at the tail end of Israel's national life before she went into captivity. All of them, okay? And so all of these prophets uh, existed during 2 Kings, the captivity, and the return back to the land under Ezra and Nehemiah. And in these prophets who rose up in mass, were raised up by God in mass, during this time of failure on the part of Israel to keep the blessings that were promised in the old covenant that flowed out of the Abrahamic covenant, uh, these prophets brought a message of condemnation. You guys have blown it. God's judgment is coming. You're going into captivity. But that message also contained a message of hope. And the message of hope was, you guys have failed at the Old Covenant. You're under God's judgment because of your failure with reference to it. But it isn't the end. I'm going to raise up a new covenant and a new covenant community that is going to succeed where the Old Covenant community failed. And so the message of the prophets was simply that Israel failed to keep the covenant with God. God is going to bring judgment against their sin. But God is going to restore and transform the nation. He is going to give it a new covenant and bless it tremendously. And he is going to bring Messiah to accomplish all of that. So this then is the background that leads up to the new covenant. We have the Abrahamic covenant and it's three promises. We have them being given to Israel and fulfilled under the old covenant. But since Israel failed to keep the old covenant and came under the judgment of God, now these three promises of the Abrahamic covenant are going to wind up being kept through and by Messiah and in and through the new covenant community. And so Jesus then is going to have a seed. It is all those who are born again of him. And Jesus is going to produce a land, which is the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus is going to bring the blessing, which is salvation and justification. And so we see then that Uh, Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, while Isaac uh, and Palestine and the temporal material blessings were the temporal fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant under the old covenant. And so um, I have a a little chart here that uh, I think would be useful for you to uh, be able to see how all this works together. <clears throat> because it's imperative for us to understand the New Covenant <clears throat> in light of the Old Covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. So as we go into the New Covenant, uh, what is going on there will make sense to you. Okay, so we have here the Abrahamic Covenant. Okay, and we're going to draw a line. And we're going to have the Old Covenant. And then we're going to draw another line gonna have the new covenant. And then we're going to go across like this. Okay. Now, under the Abrahamic covenant, we had three promises. We had the seed. Right. We had the land. And then we had the blessing. like this and we're going to go across like this. Now, the promises of the Abrahamic covenant were fulfilled under the old covenant, okay, temporally and they were fulfilled under the new covenant permanently and completely. Now, what was the seed under the old covenant? It was Isaac, Jacob, and the twelve tribes. Did Abraham have a seed? He did, right? Okay, and the land, of course, was Palestine, or Canaan, if you will, Israel, right? And then, of course, the blessing was physical prosperity And they had the prophets and they had the scriptures. Okay. Now, the problem is that under the old covenant, um, they lost these things because of their unfaithfulness. The nation was devastated and that the northern 10 tribes were taken into captivity and never heard from again. Right? So the seed was devastated. And of course, the land, they lost it completely to Babylon. And of course, they lost their physical, physical prosperity. And uh, while they still had prophets, uh, and they still had the scriptures, um, nevertheless, because of the way they were scattered throughout Babylon, uh, they couldn't go to synagogue, they couldn't go to temple, and they couldn't enjoy all of the spiritual blessings that they had when they were in the land. Now, into the new covenant, the seed is Jesus Christ and all those who are born again or regenerated by him and through his his uh, his saving work. Okay, so like it says in in um, Galatians three and verse twenty nine, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So it says in, in uh, Galatians 3.16 that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. says it specifically, Jesus is the seed of Abraham, uh, Galatians 3.16. And in Galatians 3.29, we are the seed of Abraham through Jesus. Okay? Uh, and then, of course, the land is the new heavens. And the new earth. Now, why do we say that? Because when God promised Abraham the land, he promised it to Abraham for an everlasting possession. Now, we know that he couldn't have been speaking only of Palestine because they gained it and lost it numerous times. Okay. Okay. And so it wasn't an everlasting possession for them. They had it, and they lost it, and they had it, and they lost it, and they had it, and they lost it on several occasions, okay? And then they didn't have it for nearly, you know, uh, 2,000 years until 1948, and they kind of got it back again. And so it certainly has not been an everlasting possession for them. So when we read in Hebrews chapter 11... What did Abraham look for? He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He understood that the land was just a picture of the real land that God was going to give. Furthermore, Abraham never possessed the land. He was always a stranger and a sojourner in it. So he knew that that land was not the land. And so Jesus is gonna come and he's going to provide us with a city whose builder and maker is God. And the new heavens and the new earth are going to be the land in which we're going to dwell in, in peace forever. And that's when people are going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And that's when um, uh, the lion and the lamb are going to lay down together. That's when the child will be able to put his hand on the adder's den and not get bit uh, when the curse is gone. Okay. So ultimately, the promise of the land is a promise of a land that's free from the curse. And then, of course, the blessing is nothing other than salvation and justification. In Acts chapter 3, at the very last couple verses in the chapter, it says uh, um, uh, where where God um, has has brought the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. Peter's preaching there uh, to the people. He says, unto you first, Um, Christ appeared to turn every one of you away from your sins. And so um, this is the ultimate fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. So as we read through our Bibles, we see how it's all tied together. We see how there was a a temporal, uh, physical, external fulfillment, and then how there was a permanent, inward, uh, eternal fulfillment and spiritual fulfillment under the new covenant. So this is why when you look in your chapter in um, your covenant book in chapter 13, uh, where does our author begin his discussion of the new covenant? Well, he starts with the old covenant and he talks, starts specifically with the prophets And so the prophets basically, uh, when Israel was at the end of her kingdom and she was about to be taken over by Nebuchadnezzar uh, and uh, the failure of the nation under the old covenant was clear and defined and declared, it was at that point that the prophets appeared and said, this is coming, don't lose hope. So in the midst of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the minor prophets all pronouncing these horrible judgments on Israel, they also had this wonderful note of hope and saying, you know, you failed in the old covenant, but I'm going to make a new covenant. Now let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the premier passage on the new covenant in the Old Testament. So, you know, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet, right? He's the one who wrote the book of Lamentations. He's the one who really pronounced strong message of judgment on Israel. And, um, In Jeremiah chapter 31, um, he's preaching on um, Israel's failure. Um, You know, verse 22, he says things like, How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? And uh, he talks about the coming judgment that's going to be on the nation. And then in verse 31, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. Now, what covenant is that that they broke? Well, it was the old covenant, wasn't it? Okay. And the old covenant was a conditional covenant. God said to Israel, if you will keep my laws, then I will be your God and I will bless you. If you don't keep my laws, then I'll turn against you and I'll bring judgment on you and you will be cast out of my sight. And of course, the trouble is, is Israel couldn't keep her half of the bargain. And as a result, uh, she broke it. And so in verse 32, Jeremiah makes it very clear that they broke the covenant, although I was a husband to them. And God says, I did everything I knew to do to be good to you and to bless you and to forgive you and restore you and show my mercy and my grace and my miracles. And I pled with you, but you would not. And so God could have said at the end of verse 32, So I'm done with you, goodbye, go to hell. But he didn't. And the wonderful thing is we have verse 33, but. And the buts of scripture are the most wonderful words in all of the scriptures. Because God will not be defeated and his promises will not be thwarted. He says, but this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, that is at some point in time in the future, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my law in their inward parts and write it on their hearts. And you see, the trouble is is Israel never had a heart to do the law of God because they still had unregenerate hearts. And because they had unregenerate hearts, they were enmity against the law of God, and they could not be subject to that law. And that's why they were forever rebelling against it, because the vast majority of the nation of Israel was unsaved. And so you have a small portion that's saved that is trying to follow Jehovah and, and, and the law and all those things. And then you have the vast majority who are not saved, and they're following Baal and whoever else, right? And so that's why Israel was always having these traumatic um, failures and, of course, all the, the problems that flowed out of that. So God is going to do something in the hearts of the people. He's going to regenerate their hearts and write the law, not just in the external tablets of stone for them to hold in their hands, but he's going to write it on the fleshy tables of the heart, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, in doing so, he's going to um, make it so that the people have a heart for and a desire to obey the law of God. And so it says of us under the new covenant that we delight in the law of God after the inward man. And it's true. If you had your druthers, you'd rather keep the law of God and never sin again, right? Isn't that what you want? Yeah, it is. Why? Because God put that on your heart. The unsaved, uh, they'd rather not go to church. They, they'd, they'd rather go party. They'd rather go do their drugs or whatever else. That's what's in their heart. And and that's the difference between the heart of the Christian and the heart of the unsaved is the heart of the unsaved They're at enmity against God. They're not subject to the law of God. Indeed, can they be? And with the saved, they delight in the law of God after the inward man. And and that's the difference between um, the saved and the lost. So that's the first thing he's going to do is he's going to regenerate their hearts. And then he says, not only will I put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. That is, there's going to be a reconciliation uh, between the people of God and a relationship between the people and God. And there is no more going to be any alienation. And not only is there going to be this reconciliation and this relationship between God and the people, but verse 34, it's going to be universal. And they shall teach no man, no more, every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them. Now the prophets evangelized the covenant community because most of the covenant community wasn't saved. But there will be no need to evangelize the church because everyone in the church is saved. They all know the Lord. And so who do we evangelize? The world. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature out there because all the creatures in here are all saved. Now, having said that, I'm not saying every human body that goes inside a church building is saved. But what I am saying is that everyone that's in the body of Christ, everyone who's in the church, which is made up of all saved people. They're all saved. Okay. So we can't confuse the true church with the external visible church. The goal, of course, is that the external visible church, of which we're sitting in one right now, and are one, uh, is that all of us would be saved who are in the membership. Now, we want unsaved people to come into our building, don't we? We want them to hear the gospel, but they're not in the church because the church is made up of those who are the members. And among those, we want a pure church, which means not a sinless church, but a church made up of exclusively regenerate people. And that's why um, we inquire about people's profession of faith before we bring them into the membership, because we don't want unsaved people in the membership because uh, in, in the church of the new covenant, they all know the Lord. That's why we don't baptize babies. They don't know the Lord. And baptism is the door of entrance into church membership. You can't come into church membership if you're not baptized. And so uh, we don't baptize unsaved people and bring them into membership uh, because that's a violation of the whole nature of the new covenant under which we function. So he says, says, not only do we have this reconciliation, this relationship with God, but it's universal. Okay. Okay. And then he says, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. The last phrase now in verse 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. And so there is redemption. So we have regeneration. I will put my laws into their hearts. We have reconciliation. I will be their God and they will be my people. No more alienation. And that reconciliation is universal. They all know the Lord from the least of them to the greatest of them, and then you have redemption, and their sins and their iniquities I'll remember no more. Now this is going to be the nature of the new covenant community. It is a covenant that promises and secures salvation for every single person that's in that covenant community. Now that wasn't true with those who were in the in the in the covenant community the abrahamic covenant right and it also wasn't true of the covenant community that was constituted under the old covenant the abrahamic covenant did not secure salvation for its members because esau was was a child of abraham Uh, he wasn't saved right jacob and esau right sons of isaac okay and of course there was ishmael so the point is all the seed of abraham wasn't saved And you can see Ahab, right? David, David was saved, Ahab wasn't. So the Abrahamic covenant did not secure salvation for its members. The old covenant did not secure salvation for its members. The new covenant secures salvation for all of its members. And that's the blessing of the new covenant is that it fixes the deficiencies, if you will, that were in the old covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. And that's why we have better outcomes because the covenant secures for us all that we need to have those outcomes guaranteed to us. And the neat thing about it is the Lord does it all. The old covenant was a uh, bilateral covenant where the people had to do something and God had to do something. The new covenant is purely unilateral. God said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, and I will. And you just need to believe. I'll do all the work. You just believe. All right, well, we're going to take this up next time and develop it in much more detail. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the blessing of your covenants. And thank you, Father, that you didn't give up on your people when they failed so terribly under the old covenant. You saw that if people had to contribute, to their own spiritual success and blessing and prosperity, uh, there would always be failure. The old covenant shows us that over and over again. And so, Father, you made a new covenant that eliminated the weak link, namely the performance of men. And you determined, uh, together with your Son and your Spirit, to do all the work yourselves, so that we would be saved uh, by the work of Jesus alone. Thank you that his name is Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. They won't save themselves. It's already been demonstrated they can't. Thank you, Father, for the new covenant. Thank you that you triumphed over the sins of men, over the wickedness of Satan. And that, Father, in that great day, you will gather a pure and spotless bride to yourself, all through the work of Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.